0: What an awesome prayer that we're able to sing together! That we won't be shaken, and that our trust in Christ is really the anchor point of our life. That the trust of Christ that we have, that we trust in Him, that it's an anchor. He is an anchor that cannot be moved, and that's what we celebrate: is that through the work of the cross, we have relationship with our God. Who is immovable. And it is through Christ in us that He makes us immovable. That He allows us to stand firm. And so this morning, I hope that as we, we continue to uh, share together in God's Word, as we continue to worship together in God's Word, my hope is that as we look at God this morning, as we look at His Word, and we look at the work of Christ in Paul's life, and then we look at Paul submitting to that work, that what we might find is encouragement and hope and obedience with him. That there is a joy in being able to serve Christ in obedience. So this morning, we're going to go ahead and release the preschoolers through, uh, or actually nursery, through second grade. And um, if you're in nursery through second grade and you want to jump out to your class. The classes are outside. You can see your teachers have their sign. There's a pink sign for pre-K. And then there is a yellow sign for kindergarten through second. And we'll let them begin to, to slip on out. And if you're visiting with us and you want to see where your kids are going or who's teaching, feel free to go with them as well um, and to, to step forward with them as well. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. And I, I want us just to think about for a minute the message about what it means to be a follower of Christ today. When you think of people coming to Christ and you hear often what it means, Christ is often presented in a way in our culture that is more of an add-on. Uh, something that's to be added to life, to, to bring comfort to life. Now the truth is that God's Word speaks of Jesus as being our comforter. But He does not speak of the fact that the Christian life is comfortable. He, he speaks of Christ as the source of our peace. But He does not say that the Christian life will always be peaceable. He speaks of Christ as our portion and as our joy, but he does not say that life or the Christian life will always be happy. The truth is, is that Christianity is marked by the life of Christ in the believer. And following Christ is actually Christ being lived in us. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, what we're going to find is that it's not always easy. That the walk with Christ, the Christian life, is not always that easy. And my hope is as we're going through this that what you find in this passage is not, oh, this is a total downer. But rather that when life is a total downer, there is still one that is our hope and our joy and our peace and our fulfillment who promises that even in those down moments, God is still at work For his faithful followers. So let's go ahead and look at this passage this morning. We're going to be looking at Acts 21, verses 17 through 40. If you'd stand with me, we'll read this passage together. And this is what it says. Reading from English Standard Version, and this is what it says. It says, When he'd come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live. And observant to the law. But as for the Gentiles, who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the, and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he would given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, Motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. The passage ends abruptly there because we're going to be looking at that passage next week. But that's an important part of today's message is that Paul is actually given the opportunity to proclaim in a place that he never thought possible. that he would have never foreseen in his own wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you, God, that you know what we don't. Thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty and for your faithfulness towards us. May your word go forth in power this morning. May you move me aside and may it be you who speaks boldly. May it be your word that implants on our heart as we trust that it will not return void. Father, humble us through your word. Convict us through your word. Strengthen us through your word. Glorify you and your name your word. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, at the heart of this passage this morning is the idea that the Christian life is not defined by ease, but by the life of Christ and fulfillment of his will in our obedience. The Christian life is not defined by ease, but by the life of Christ and the fulfillment of His will in our obedience. Our life is actually about Christ's obedience. And it's through Christ's obedience on the cross that we are able to obey Him. That apart from Christ, it is impossible to walk in obedience with Him. And it's only through His obedience that we actually experience salvation. So our life as a follower of Christ is to be Christ's life. And the only way... For us to live out Christ's life is for Christ to be living in us. Now, in Paul's time in Caesarea, you'll recall from last week, if you were able to to share in the word last week with us. Paul was told by a prophet that he would be imprisoned with the Gentiles in Jerusalem. As those who were urging him not to go to go to Jerusalem, in Acts 21, verses 13 through 14, we're told, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So the prophet Agabus had come to Paul and told him that there would be a day where he was going to be imprisoned in Jerusalem. And those around him, his friends, told him, don't go. And Paul says, listen, I know what God has for me. Don't be the discouragement. Don't weep over me. Don't break my heart. And it was clear at that moment to those who were with Paul that it was the will of the Lord for him to go into Jerusalem. And it was the will of the Lord that he would be persecuted in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So we're told in our passage this morning in verse 17 that the brothers received them gladly gladly as they came into Jerusalem. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, they related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, note here what happens. The elders in Jerusalem, and if you recall that James is present with those elders... Paul, back in chapter 15 of Acts, he and Barnabas had already come to the council of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem elders before. These were men that were known to Paul. And they rejoice over this work. They rejoice over what's taking place. And they rejoice over how God is moving amongst the Gentiles. And then it leads them from rejoicing and glorifying God, and we're told... At the latter part of verse 20, it says, And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. So here's what's happening. The elders in Jerusalem are sharing with Paul that listen, there are those here, the Jews that are saved here, that have come to a a knowledge of Jesus, they're zealous for the law. And what they've heard you doing as you've gone throughout the Gentile nations is saying, don't follow any of those things of the law. Those things are wrong. Don't circumcise your children. It's wrong. Don't follow the ritual practices. They're wrong. Remove the customs or the Jewish customs. That's what the rumor was. What Paul had said was that they were actually free in Christ. That it was not ceremonies or things like that or rituals or actions that made one righteous with Christ, but it was only through faith in Jesus. It was only through faith in Christ that a righteousness occurred because Christ applied His righteousness to us. What Paul wasn't saying was that if they chose to participate, participate in those sacrifices, that it was a problem, or in those rituals, that it was a problem, or if they even chose to circumcise their children. Romans seven seven through ten tells us, "What then shall we say that the sin is that the law is sin?" By no means. Yet if <clears throat> yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. What Paul was saying was, listen, it wasn't that he was saying the law didn't matter. What he was saying was the only way for the law to be fulfilled was through Jesus. The only way to obey the law was to actually give our lives to Christ and have Christ carry out that work in us. But he was not saying that they needed to forsake all their customs the same freedom that allowed them not to do those customs through faith were the same freedom that they had to actually do those customs as long as they understood that it didn't save them. He, he wasn't looking to tear down a culture. What Paul was interested in was the gospel, the hope of Jesus, not in tearing down the culture. I think we can learn a lot from that from Paul. Paul. We live in a culture that we would say is missing the moral mark. And our concern can become one that's focused and centered on the culture rather than on the gospel. When the gospel is at work, the culture will shift in the lives of those who respond to the gospel. But apart from that, the culture will remain. And we can get so enamored with trying to tear down a culture and rebuild a culture, that we forget that the only way for a culture to be rebuilt is through the Gospel. It is the Gospel that makes us whole. It is the Gospel that brings righteousness. And so for each of us, we need to understand what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying there's freedom. And in that freedom, what he's not doing is moving to condemnation, If those that choose to continue to to walk in rituals that strengthen them or help them. But it's a lie. This rumor is a lie. And it has actually created a group of Jews who are kind of incited, upset, divided. They don't know what to do with Paul. Paul. First Corinthians seven verse nineteen says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Paul wasn't concerned about whether or not they were circumcising their children, and he wasn't concerned about whether or not they followed practices in the, the temple or whether or not they continued to even carry out the sacrifices. What he was concerned with is that they didn't believe that those sacrifices and those rituals were a means of salvation. Dan Duncan puts it this way, he says, listen, the ceremonies and sacrifices, the truth is, it doesn't help, and it doesn't hurt either. If a Jewish father wanted to circumcise his son and conform to the ancestral traditions, Paul didn't object to that. What Paul was concerned about was the gospel of Christ, and the only way that we experience relationship with the Father is not through a series of rituals or ceremonies Or works but it is through faith in Jesus Christ alone that it is the grace that is offered through the work of the cross so Paul's desire is to actually fulfill God's will through loving obedience and what we have here is a picture of Paul walking out this loving obedience towards Christ in the fulfillment of His will. And there are three things that we notice here that fulfilling God's will through loving obedience involves. The first one is submission to spiritual authority. Submission to spiritual authority. The truth is is that God has called us to put ourselves under spiritual authority. As followers of Christ, we're to be under that spiritual authority. We're to be a part of the local church. We're to to place ourselves willingly under that authority. In verses 23-26, through it begins, Do therefore what we tell you. Then Paul took the men, it says in verse 26, And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. See, a problem existed with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. The elders knew the people in Jerusalem, and they were given to the shepherding of the church in Jerusalem. With unity, in unity, they instruct Paul to do, therefore, what we tell you. Now, what's important about this is individual elders and individual apostles are also under the corporate authority of Christ's church, meaning that even as a singular elder, I still have to come under the elders of our own church. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't have a voice. It doesn't mean that Paul couldn't disagree. But Paul understood the responsibility of the Jerusalem elders and their knowledge of his chur- of the church within Jerusalem. And as as an apostle, he comes under that leadership. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this. In Acts 15, if you recall, there's a dispute that takes place. There are those that have come and said that Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians must follow the law. And Paul and Barnabas go to the council in Jerusalem. And they seek understanding together. And the elders and apostles work through this issue together. Now, it's important to understand that spiritual authority may not always make the decision with the best outcome, seemingly. But what we can be assured of is it is the authority that God has placed in His church for His church. And even in that imperfection, God uses it in His sovereignty to bring about His desired will. These were men who loved the Lord. Who genuinely sought the best for the church of Jerusalem. And they genuinely sought what was best for Paul. And this plan that they believed to be true in unity together was a plan that we'll see in just a few moments backfires. It's not as pretty as they'd like. Does it mean that they erred? Does it mean that Paul compromised? No. It means that even as God directs, that He is directing through that to bring about His fulfillment of his will for his purposes. It's one of the reasons that Paul, I think, so easily is able to respond to this is he knows that there is a unity of spirit in those that have been placed over the church in Jerusalem. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God has placed spiritual authority in our lives to direct us, to encourage us, to lead us in things that we may not yet be able to see and God uses the spiritual authority in his church to bring about his desired and purposeful will. In the outcome, excuse me, in the end, the outcome may look different. And in this case will be different than what they've desired. But God sovereignly uses their instruction to bring about the fulfillment of his will in Paul's life. If we're going to walk in obedience with Christ, we have to place ourselves under that authority. It will involve that. Loving obedience always does. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfect, and it doesn't mean that it's always going to have a wonderful outcome. Now, what he's not saying here is that we follow leaders into sin what it doesn't mean is that we don't use discernment what it doesn't mean is that we blindly accept without seeking understanding and what it doesn't mean is that shepherds lead without having a sensitivity towards the body Remember Jesus' instructions to His disciples. We don't lead in the same way. We don't lead as lording over others. But rather with a sensitivity towards the Spirit. And a humble love towards others. The second aspect of loving obedience and the fulfillment of God's will. The first involves submission to The spiritual authority. The second is a sacrifice of personal rights to minister the gospel. A sacrifice of personal rights to minister the gospel. Notice what happens here. It says, We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Now, it was important to know that at this time, there were those in Jerusalem and Jews that were taking a Nazarite vow. Now, what was a Nazarite vow? Well, a Nazarite vow required them to fast, usually for a period of at least seven days. During that time, at the end of that fast, they would fast from meat and usually wine. Once done with that vow, they would then, at the temple doors, shave their head, and their hair would be burned. They would then offer two lambs as a sacrifice for their cleansing, followed by a ram, and then usually the meal offerings. This was not a cheap sacrifice. This was not a cheap vow. It was costly. But it was a vow that was taken often amongst those that were considered unclean. Paul had been visiting the Gentile nations amongst a pagan people. The Jews would have seen him as unclean. So the elders devise a plan. Go ahead. Go into the temple, purify yourself in this way, costly as it is, and then we want you to also pay for the other four who are under a vow. And this will show the people that what you're saying is no. The law or the observance of the law is not to be completely dismissed. And so Paul agrees. and he agrees and he does this vow. Now Paul was under no obligation to do this vow. He he didn't have any responsibility. He understood that these this vow was not what made him clean. But he sacrificed his rights to minister the gospel. He laid it down. Romans 14:13 through 19 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hind- hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual up- building. Paul was willing to come into the midst of the temple so the gospel was not hindered. What they were worried about was that because of this rumor... They were concerned that Paul, the Apostle Paul would not even be heard in what he was sharing. And so Paul and the elders want to remove that stumbling block that's before them. It's one of the things today, I think, that often happens is that we, we get caught up on the minors of things. We hone in on specific sins and speak of those sins as the ones that condemn people to an eternity apart from Christ. The truth is, it's not simply homosexuality, and it's not simply sexual immorality, and it's not simply covetousness or greed, and it's not simply disrespect, and it's not simply idolatry, and it's not simply gossip, and it's not simply deceit. That's the outworking of the sin that exists within humanity. It is not my actions that make me sinful. It is my heart that is sinful. And it is only through Jesus that we are granted a new heart, a clean heart, that we are a new creation in Christ. And too many times we get locked up on arguments that just don't matter for the sake of the gospel. I don't need to convince somebody that their actions are sinful. I need to help them understand that they are sinful and that I am sinful. And that it is only through Christ that we have life. It is only through Christ that we have righteousness. What Paul does here is certainly not comfortable. He could have easily looked at the elders and said, whatever, that's for them they're weak, they don't get it, then good on them. Let them have the consequence of their misunderstanding. For a lot of us, I think we can get there, can't we? Just easy to be like, eh, this is my right. Like, you stop bugging me with that. Here are my freedoms. We've seen that a lot this past year. In both directions. People who are all masked and nothing else. People who are no mask and nothing else. Truthfully, it's nothing else. Because that's what seems to matter. Nothing else. And I say that truthfully. Because if that's where we're at, we've missed the mark of what God has for us. Our faith has never been about our rights. It has been about Jesus and Him and a laying down of rights. He's our example of that. For His sake... We worship because Christ has done the work, not because in some way we get to do it the way we want. It's a wonderful thing to be able to gather as followers of Christ. And how that looks, to be really frank, doesn't really matter. It's the body of Christ being strengthened together in righteousness. It's the body of Christ glorifying God together. And it's the laying down of our personal preferences and our own desires so that the gospel goes forth in power, not us. Brett McCracken points out true Christianity always challenges our paradigms and assaults our comforts. It's rewarding for sure, but also costly love that it always challenges our paradigms and assaults our comfort it's rewarding for sure but also costly one other pastor says this consistent with his freedom paul adapted to the circumstances in order to further the gospel he restricted his liberty to help the church and he trusted god for the outcome And we can be assured of this that whenever we trust God and we walk faithfully to His Word, whether men understand what we're doing or not, God will bless. So may God give us an enlarged understanding of His truth and His way, and may we live according to it. What great words! A reminder. That fulfilling God's will is going to involve submission. It's going to involve sacrifice. And then finally, it's going to involve suffering for the glory of Christ. Suffering for the glory of Christ. In verse 27 through 36, it says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing Him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on Him. Now notice, this is actually a different group. The Jews from Jerusalem, they were just a group that was confused. They, they were wondering who Paul was and seemed to be divided. But the Jews from Asia? This group is probably the same group that existed in, in Ephesus. That came after Paul. This group of Jews was not a group of believing Jews. But this group of Jews were Jews that were zealous... the ceremonies for the rituals and this group of Jews stirred up trouble they stirred up the crowd Now, notice the suffering that exists the first of which is false accusation it says this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place Paul was not against the law he simply said that Christ was the fulfillment of the law Paul was not against the people. He was for them. He was helping them see that in Christ, the fulfillment of God was delivered, that his promises were manifest completely in Jesus. It was a lie. Ever have somebody say something unjustly to you? Everybody, anyone have. Somebody say or even think something unjustly about your faith. Suffering for Christ is a part of walking in loving obedience. They went on and said, Moreover, He brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Paul wasn't just a man who was tearing apart the law, but he was seen as, or being told that he was somebody who was also bringing active uncleanness or sin into the presence of God. What does Paul do? Paul understands that Christ is our vindicator, he suffers for the glory of Christ in this. Verse 30 goes on, then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Now think about this for a second. These Jews, who are zealous, quote unquote, for the law, are now beating Paul and seeking to kill him. But Paul's the bad guy. All sin is irrational. And because all sin is irrational, it will lead to irrational responses. And in Christ, rather than finding ourselves fighting and discouraged and beaten down, we need to see that the only thing that cuts through that irrationality is the gospel Because the thing leading to that irrationality is sin. Do you see how a culture shifts with the gospel? Because it's only the gospel that can cut through irrationalness. It's only the gospel that can cut through evil. It's only the gospel that can cut through sin. But his work's not done. In 2 Corinthians 4.11, we're told simply this. It says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We forget that. That doesn't line up with the messages to say today that say, if you just have enough faith, God's going to give you lots of wealth. If you just have enough faith, God will bless you with your own personal desires. And if you just come to Christ, everything will be good. The truth is is not everything's going to be good, but you have one who is that lives within you. And that one who is that lives within you is the source of your hope. Is the source of your strength, is the source of your joy. Verse 12 continues So death is at work in us, but life in you. We have life in Jesus, and when we suffer, it is for Christ's sake. When we walk in obedience with God, there will be suffering. You may be in a marriage. It's tough. Know that when you walk in obedience, there will be suffering. You may be in a job or circumstance with others that when you walk in obedience, know it will be tough. You may be going through something medically. It may be twisting you and tweaking you but as you walk with Christ he can be trusted knowing that his suffering the suffering within us is for his sake now peter reminds us that if we suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as a a liar we're simply bearing the weight of our own consequences but when we're walking with the Lord, seeking to lovingly obey him, the suffering that comes is for the glory of Christ. It is for his purposes. Whitefield said this really well, and I love it. He says, We are immortal till our work is done. We are immortal. our work is done Paul was on the brink of death and God delivers him here he pulls him out of that death grip because he's got more work to do but we can be assured when death comes Christ's work for us is done but until that time and not a moment sooner he will be the one that lifts our head J.I. Packer once expressed it this way It's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding, or to postpone believing till we get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. As Augustine said, unless you believe, you will not understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the sincerity of our faith is our willingness to have it so. When we walk in obedience, it is faith first, sight afterwards. Now when we look at this portion of scripture, what we see is not Paul. I want to encourage you this afternoon to go back And to read Acts 21, verses 27 through 36. And ask yourself who you think of when you read this passage. As Paul is out in the midst of being killed, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then a tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he is and what he'd done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! We see this picture in Luke 23.18 with Jesus. The Jewish crowd seeking to kill Him. The, The Roman cohort, Pontius Pilate, coming to the rescue momentarily. The enemy being the rescuer momentarily. God using in His sovereignty His means of protection for man. And we see the crowd shouting away with Him. In our suffering, we identify with Christ. It is in our suffering that Christ is actually most glorified. When our lives have been laid down, It is the essence of the words that Jesus gave to his disciples in Luke 9, 23, that if any man must come after me, he must take up his cross, right? But before he says take up the cross, he says deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Suffering is the essence of denial of self. So, where does that leave us in this passage then? we've seen three aspects of loving obedience things that will occur as we seek to fulfill god's will but then we see what is the result and this is it loving obedience leads to seen and unforeseen opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed loving obedience leads to seen and unforeseen opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed. Notice what happens. Paul was about to be brought into the barracks. He said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out in the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew. Paul gets to speak to this crowd. Paul would have never imagined that what is before him is the city. Jews who were divided but believing, Jews who were consistently and constantly resisting him and Jews who were consistently persecuting him God put him in front of the crowd to speak and it was through his submission and his sacrifice and his suffering that God was bringing about the opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed in a way that was both seen and unseen and unforeseen we need to see that when we seek to obey the Lord as we walk with Him we may not be able to see what's into tomorrow but we can trust that God is working our tomorrows for His purpose and for our good Amen? Let's pray Father thank you that the hope that we have is not in what we see and the hope that we have is not in the unseen But God, may we see with the eyes that you have to know that you are working out your purposes as we faithfully walk with you in obedience. May our hearts be aligned with you today in loving obedience. May we no longer seek simply the comfort of this life and the ease of this life, but know that to be followers of Christ, it will involve submission, it will involve sacrifice, and it will involve suffering. And may we embrace those with joy. May we embrace those with purpose. And may we embrace those with steadfastness in you, knowing that you are bringing about and completing the work that you're doing in us. And we ask this in your name, amen.